In episode 5.1 of Unshuffled, we unpack the first full-length album from Denver hard rockers Abrams called Love, Lust, Loss. But first, here's Seven Planets. Scotty D. Matt, how are you, good sir? Wonderfully well. Nice to catch up. Finally, it's been a while. It has been. We always seem to start with it's been a while. (laughs) It's it's always always busy. Things are busy. Yeah, when you're trying to move families from one continent to another in the midst of a pandemic, podcasts are often difficult to to work around that. But but we're making it. It's still happening. Yeah, here we are. Here we are, listeners. You can relax. We don't do banter anymore. Our banter days are behind us. We just start talking music, album, and uh, we've got an album for you today that I don't think that many people around the world would have listened to, to be honest. But that's part of the fun. We've just done some huge bands, Ghost, Gojira. Now we're moving on to a smaller band. Today, a band from Denver called Abrams. What attracted us to Abrams? Can you remind me? Why did we pick Abrams again? If I recall, and this is where I'm wondering if people have gone backwards to listen to this, mm. but they were showing up their newest album. I think, I think it's called Modern Ways. That'll be two podcasts from now. Yeah. Um, but their newest album was showing up on all of these lists of sort of, I think it was 2020, right? Mm-hmm. We were just kind of scouring and we were getting all these lists of what best at metal albums of 2020. And Abrams kept showing up on several of those lists. That's, yeah, that's why, true. that's how I fell into them. Yeah. Now, most people would say, okay, well, I'm going to go and listen to Modern Ways then, then this album that everyone's talking about, but not us. <laughs> that's not the way we do things. <laughs> we say, okay, I want to listen to their new album, but first I have to listen to all their old albums. And That's, thank you, Abrams, for not having 15 albums. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's how we roll around here. So in the interest of completeness, we've done so. This, And today we're looking at the first full-length release from Denver's Abrams, which is called Lust, Love, Loss, with full stops uh, in between those three words. And... In the interest of banter-free podcasting, we're going to get straight into it today. So why don't you tell us, Scott, about the details of Lust, Love, Loss from Abrams. Absolutely. So it was released. I have I have two dates. Is There was a June 16th, 2015 and a June 29th, 2015. So I don't know, it was a week and a half or whatever in between them. But June of 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, it was self-produced, but by self-produced, it seems like Abrams and Patrick Alberts were involved in the production, mm-hmm. which it leads us, I'll jump straight ahead to the lineup. So the lineup for this album was Zach Amster, Michael Amster, Zach Amster's vocals, guitar, Michael Amster's drums, Taylor Iverson on vocals and bass. 
Patrick Alberts is not officially in the band at this point, but we'll see him. He, he's not going anywhere. Uh, it seems that we're going to see more of him later. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was recorded at the Boar's Nest in Salt Lake City, mm-hmm. which is interesting considering they're from Colorado. How far is Utah from Denver? I'm not, I'm not great it's, on my U.S. geography. It's, I mean, not that far. It's mm. maybe a six-hour drive. But it still seems interesting because if you're from Denver, I would think there's loads of recording studios in Denver. Yeah. But I don't know, right? Maybe they needed to get out. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> uh, they, do, they do reference Utah in one of their songs too. So it's obviously had some influence on their – on the songwriting and recording process, this, this change of scene. Mm. Let's sort artwork. Now, this is a photographer. And so the front cover is a photograph. It's a veiled woman with a black background with a, wearing a sort of violet-covered veil. So you can just see the very faint sort of outline of her face. She's holding her hands up to her head with a, you know, a, a sort of transparent veil draped over the top of her uh the photographer is Kristen kofer and i've put a link to her website up she's well known in the music industry she, she takes a lot of photos of musicians she's done some great photos of chelsea wolf who's a who's a well-known uh female vocalist in the sort of heavy music scene this is not a new type of photo for her she's done a few photos with veils you know these types of colors she obviously sees something in it. What do you think of the image and, and how it relates to the album? I I really like the cover. I really like, I mean, the I, I like the pictures, the, the you know, or the, the use of the color, but I also really like the font. Yeah. And the, the the font has, and I believe that might have been Brian D'Agosta, the logo design. But I, I also like the way that that works. And it has sort of like this scratchy postmodern gothic horror movie-ish feel where like it should be moving. Yeah, it looks and like so, it should move, right? Like the, right. the in the seven, um, the credits to the film seven, you know, how it sort of jumps around a bit. Um, and and I, so I do like the way that these two work together. I think that to have this, because I think for all intents and purposes, this album is, is it's self-produced, it's self-released, it's not on a major label. Um, to have been the band at that point in time and to have, landed this photo for your album cover that seems like a huge win yeah yeah and and it sets the scene i think that at the ambition of this band like they they are trying to do something artistic with their music you know they're not just putting out some heavy music but they're trying to bring some art to their craft i think so you know i think it sets the scene for that we you know we're, we're going to get something that attempts to, to say something meaningful. You know, you've been listening to this, what, up in the mountains of Vermont? Um, you know, talk, talk to us about your first impressions, uh, you, you know, you, the, the time you've spent with this album. How's it been? It has been, I mean, I'll kind of go through it a little bit more. It's, I've, my thoughts, my views on this album have ebbed and flowed and grown and changed. Uh, it's been a long time that I've been listening to this album. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, no, I'm just, I'm up here in the mountains and what I've been doing while listening is I've been barbecuing, mowing the lawn, <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty Dr- mundane mountain life stuff. Any driving the truck to the dump this time? 
Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. These, these things always accompany me on my dump trips on Saturdays. <laughs> I've been, uh, I've been on a beach in Southern Italy. I'm not sure this is per- the perfect accompaniment for bright sunshine and beautiful, <laughs> beautiful clean waves. Uh, this is more winter music, I think. But anyway, I've been listening to it in the midst of a, of a beautiful Italian summer. Um, on a sailboat, does this qualify as yacht rock? <laughs> it's definitely not <laughs> yacht rock. But yes, we were on a sailboat. But no, there was no Abrams played on that on that trip. They need to get Michael McDonald on their next album. Uh, yeah, maybe they do. <clears throat> or Kenny Loggins or someone. Then Christopher Cross. <laughs> guest appearance. Anything more to say before we dive into the track by track? No, I don't think so. I think like a lot of my, as I said, sort of my ebbs, my flows, my thoughts, I've sort of interwoven them in as all as I'm oh. talking about the tracks. All right, well, let's hear about them. Why don't you kick us off with track one, Manic? So this one is, it's first off, it's got a cool, just a cool opening riff, the drums and the bass. Um, right off the bat, I like I like where the music's going. There's there's a rawness to the sound. And as I was first listening to this, I just kept thinking, who does this remind me of? And it was driving me crazy. It was at least a couple listens before I finally pinpointed, oh, at the drive-in. Ah. It reminds me of at the drive-in. It's just mm-hmm. sort of that there was, I, there's kind of a, I feel like, Throughout this album, you can sort of go through and kind of unravel their influences, right? There's a there's a sort of stoner sound to it. There's a doom feel to it, but then there's this screamo feel to mm. to it as well. And and I think I've landed on this first thing that kind of drew me in was 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 at the drive-in, and that and that was sort of more what what I was listening to. And then there was the how I noticed that like the first and I think throughout the whole album and especially as we get into and and you'll talk about that and, you know moving from track one to track two but they don't really waste a whole lot of time between tracks like each track just seems to kind of just jump straight into the next one and True. and that sort of struck me with this as well yeah for me we, we've been known to use the word anthemic on previous albums a lot. I'm not going to use that on this album so much, but the word I'm going to use this time is angular. The guitar was the first thing that struck me, and it's that angular sound. It's it's a hardcore, you know, At The Drive-In is not a band that I'm, you know, I've heard, but I'm not overly familiar with. I've, I've never been a big fan. I, too, was looking for influences. Clearly, the guitar draws its influences, though, from that hardcore scene and that sort of there's some melody in it but there's also some discordance which continues throughout the album the other thing that stood out for me yeah firstly the bass when it comes in really nice clear bass sound i'm very impressed with the bass on this song and the bass throughout the album but then once they're in full swing it's the drums that caught my ear very busy drummer um this mike amston more so with his arms than his legs, almost like like a jazzy kind of feel, the way he's sort of slopping around the the uh, the snare and the cymbals. You know, a, a lot of work going on there with the arms. And then, yeah, the vocals come in. And, yes, he's screaming. So 
uh, the band that, to me, uh, that came to mind for me was Unsane. Um, mm. So, yeah, I mean, but pick any band where the, the vocalist screams and, and you, know, you could argue that that would be an influence. I quite like the ingredients. So, you know, we've got a three-piece here. The ingredients are angular guitars, um, a very busy bass player with, you know, some quite intricate bass lines and a really jazzy and, and very frenetic, manic, if you like, I mean, that's the name of the song, drumming style. What now, so we see what they can do on this song. It's a good song. I like the ingredients of the song and it's a good showcase of those ingredients, a good opening song to show, show all right, these, this is what we've got as a band and this is how we're going to put them together. So I like the ingredients. I quite like the lyrics too. It's a, it's a cry for help. And the lyrics throughout this album are pretty dark and, and kind of sad at times. Like there's a lot of sadness in the lyrics here. Quite poetic, this little mess I've become. Save me from something. So, you know, you can hear that, you know, help, help me, please. And, and the screaming really adds to that, um, to, the, to the poetic message there. I like the ingredients and it's got me, you know, it's a good it's a good opening and it's got me thinking, I wonder where they can take this. This is a great sort of blueprint, but it'll be interesting to see following on from this song what else they can do. Going into the second song, Sea Salt Line. So here we get that. This is where they mention Utah. But again, the, the lyrics here are the same. Failure, loss, mourning. I think this one might be about a funeral or something. Again, that sort of quite poetic lyrics. But it's another... The start of this song is very similar to the first song, the jangly, angular guitar sound. The chorus in this in Sea Salt Lines is a bit heavier, and I really like the chorus. But at the two-minute mark of this song, we start to see, okay, when they introduce the doomy element, the tempo change, the first real big tempo change on the album, this is, to me, where it starts to get really promising, that intersection between hardcore and with the screamy lyrics and doom is is where you start to think, oh, this could go in some interesting directions. So I like the song and it's starting to drip feed me some, some different elements that I'm hoping we'll see more <clears throat> of later in the album. So what did you think of track two? This one, um, I felt like track two, I felt like they were two parts of the same song. Mm. And... Um, there was that sort of that's the musically there was the stop start. There's the, the, they're playing again, kind of a little bit with the rhythm and, and the tempo. Um, and in this song sort of brings, if these two are, are, are parts of the same song, this song brings it to kind of that doomy, uh, more doomy, less stoner feel mm. that, that I thought was kind of, kind of just brings it way down. Um, but, and it's interesting that you were saying, cause I was not reading the lyrics in the same way that you were. Mm. And uh, and and listening to your thought on the lyrics actually makes me reconsider what I thought of track three, Sunshine. I, so I saw this whole album as sort of not a concept album, but basically somebody here had their heart broken and was writing through that pain is sort of what how I interpreted all of this. But your interpretation of the idea that maybe somebody had had passed on 
um, is interesting when we go into Sunshine Track 3, because it, again, it, it, it's this idea that sort of thinking about being with this person who's, who's not there anymore, um, bringing sunshine, right? You're already gone. And then there's this line, where did it go? The last line is you've got a halo on for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I, I for whatever reason, I, I was always taking that as sort of a, a breakup, but now you bringing this in adds a whole different twist to it. Mm-hmm. Um, musically though, I like, I really like, the, the, in fact, this is, I think, one of the two songs that I've listed as my potential favorite tracks. I like the bouncy bass feel that sort of moves up and down and, and the intro of this song. I really like how the bass and drums play off of each other. And then even like the end of the song has this sort of like Batman-y type rhythm as it's, as it's ending. I will say at this point in the album is where I'm finding that the vocal stylings are starting to feel a little bit samey by, by this point, I, to go back to at the drive-in, I was also never a huge at the drive-in fan, but I really liked the Mars Volta. Right. And so, and I felt like the Mars Volta was where they took the musicianship of at the drive-in dialed that up and the screamy kind of, he found more melody and 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 I'm I'm finding that those sorts of things are registering with me here too. It's just like all right, there's the the <laughs> I'm starting to feel like the vocal stylings could be sort of laid over any of of the tracks and kind of still sound the same. I think the big friend that they can look to is tempo, and it's not something that we've seen a lot yet. Uh, we saw it in the Doomy section on Sea Salt Lines. We don't see it in Sunshine. Having said that, I really like Sunshine as a song. It does feel more sunshiny. It feels a bit brighter. There's a nice melodic bridge section after the second chorus. It's got that cool lo-fi section that leads into that driving Batman-y finish to the song. So, yeah, it is one of my favourite songs. But at the same time, the challenges for this band are starting to become apparent at this stage. So um, it's obvious that at some point they're going to deal with that, um, but you can see what's confronting this band is that they're trying to be a creative force. Uh, the next song, Sweaty and Self-Conscious. Uh, sounds like me uh, as a teenager. It's a very short song, 2 minutes 48, but it actually feels longer. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's an up-tempo song. This one wasn't particularly memorable for me, and again, it's that it's the four ingredients again, that we've heard before, and it, they haven't combined them in, in a way that stands out for me on this song. You're Just a Pretty Little Idiot is one of the lyrics that I've noted down. So it's, you know, again, it's not pleasant vocal content. You know, they're not singing about happy things. But, you know, musically, this wasn't anything that stood out. You? Same. I, I think I, what I wrote here, is I, I like the title. Uh it's all kind of starting to sound a little samey at this point. Musicianship is good. Hmm. Uh, the vocals, I'm kind of at this point in the album, I'm feeling like the vocals are maybe kind of the weak link. Uh, there seems to be two vocalists, and I can't tell you where one starts and the other ends. So neither one seems to be bringing anything different to the songs. Hmm. 
If in fact, maybe I haven't even heard two vocalists at this point, I can't tell. And I'm also noticing that the lyrics are all kind of sort of directed at this ambiguous you, mm -hmm. which I think leads me back to uh, messy breakup. All right, well, let's go on. Far from nope. home. Far from home. So once again, I like the music. I really do. I like the foundation that this band has built. And, and I think that that's huge, right? Because having that already, the fact that you've got a, a drummer, a bass player, and guitar player who are good at what they do and are able to interweave this in and write good songs. And, and I think that musically, some really cool melodies come through. And that is a foundation. I, I, I am curious to hear, because they're going to go from here to an album that is topping all these metal charts. So yeah. I'm curious to know, I'm curious to see how we get there. But anyway, uh, here again, I, I like the music. I like the punchy drums. I like, there's again, there's this sort of a bounce to the bass, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not a driving bass necessarily. There's a bit of a, a, a pop and a hop to it. And I like how the drums accentuate that. But again, the vocals, I, 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 again, I wrote down, I feel like they're singing the same things just over different music. Yeah, I, I like this one because it alternated the sort of tempos and styles. There's a slow drony opening, then it gives way to that bass solo bass line, which I love, you know, you can he hear what a great sounding bass it is and a, a really cool bass line. But we alternate in the song between sort of manic and drony sections, which I think is effective and a nice, you know, it gives the song a, a, a bit of light and shade, if you like. There's a hint of a solo near the end i wouldn't call it a solo but there's certainly a high a higher melodic guitar part towards the end they don't seem to do guitar solos at this stage of their career anyway there's some really good riffs in this song though and i like the fact that there's some light and shade and i thought it was a good song mr pink always wins is the next song so again we've got a a bass line to open this one and and again that great sounding bass is is showcased there the lyrics in this one the themes are becoming very much recurring lost love memories regret loneliness again notice that i'm not none of those are particularly happy things to sing about so they're you know they're singing about sad things there is a melodic section in the song which I quite like, but again, the tempos, the riffs, it's starting to, they're all starting to bleed into each other a little bit now, and, and this song reinforced that impression. Your thoughts? Well, this one starts with my best friend is dead, so <laughs> the sunshine is, it's hard to find that in there. Um, yep. But but this also goes back to your sort of interpretation of, of kind of where this is all going. Uh, I really like the, the bass opener that's, that opens this song. And I like the verse. There's, so the, the, the song has distinct verse, pre-chorus, chorus, right? And the verse feels like a Cure song off of like their sort of mid nineties. They had this album called Blood Flowers in the mid nineties. And in this, the verse sounds like something that could have been on that album. I put this down, I think this is also this is the other one of the songs on this album that I would rank as one of my favorite tracks. Mm -hmm. um, but again, you're right. I, yes, the lyrics are, there is, there's a definite darkness that's, that's coming through here, but it's trying to find something, I, well, they say something beautiful within that, 
Well, okay, so then that takes us into the moat, which is the shortest song on the album at like 40 some seconds, right? 48 seconds, mm -hmm. under a minute. And this song, I don't, it just feels like a coda to Mr. Pink Always Wins. I, I didn't, I, I don't quite understand why this is its own song, I guess. It felt sort of like it was just kind of coming off of that mm. and ending the last song. Yeah, I agree. I, I quite like it as a as an interlude, as a break in the album. And, and it, you know, I think the album maybe could have benefited from some more interludes, breaks, just things to break up that, wall of sound that we've con you know that has confronted us so far so i like the fact that it's there whether it deserves its uh, its own separate track or not uh, you know is debatable but it's slow it's shimmery i quite like it and it leads not only from the last track but also leads into track eight which is called useless again not a not a happy make you smile sort of title and and the lyrics are, again, sad. It's kind of a sad love song in the lyrics here. This is their film clip song. So they did make a film clip to this particular song, a quite strange film clip with a guy with a kind of devil mask haunting someone, and then there's a surfer who seems to get into trouble in the waves. I don't know. There's a, it's, a, it's a kind of odd but quite, art, again, quite arty film clip. I like the song in that there's some tempo changes, there's a slower section, a slow, doomy final section. So I do like this for the fact that it has some tempo changes and, and you know, some things that catch your ears and, and lead you from one part of the song to the other. So I can understand why they might have picked this as their film clip song. It wasn't a, one of my favourites, but... You know, overall, it's not a bad song. Your thoughts on Useless? Same. I like when they go doomy. This song uh, definitely has more of that. I, the, the sound of this song is, I know this came out in 2015, but this 100% feels like a band that I would have seen countless times at Gabe's Oasis in Iowa City circa 1998. It just has that sort of, just that, that vibe to kind of that college bar band late 90s early 2000s and i think you mentioned this on one of the earlier tracks but there's that little discordant guitar solo that kind of comes in that that i quite like as well yeah well i think that's the sort of bar that they did they have played at i mean the the one bit of live footage i found from this album was at a place called three kings which three kings tavern i'll, I'll link to an article about the you know another COVID victim, and I'm sure there's been countless of these little divey bars that used to just survive that have in the last year or two gone under. Just, you know, they always would have been close to the edge in terms of viability, and now they're no more, which is really sad. I mean, so many bands got their start in bars like Three Kings Tavern. So, yeah, I think, you know, 1998, and, and there is a little bit of... It does have at times quite a retro or nostalgic feel, this album. Like it does, I can see what you mean. Like it takes you back to late 90s, early to mid 2000s, some of this stuff. I mean, some of the other bands that came to mind, I could see them that they're not quite, they haven't quite gone in the cave in direction, but I could see them going that way. 
if they wanted to after this, perhaps. Or you could go into some of those sort of, you know, another band I thought of was, um, what are they called? Uh, Poison the Well. Oh, uh, yeah. They could take, like, again, it's this isn't Poison the Well, but I could see them right. going, they could take that emotional Poison the Well path or they could make it a bit more accessible and and, and, and a bit cave-in. <clears throat> Or they could grab onto that doomy thing and and take it down a different path altogether. So I'm interested, very interested to see where they go. Um, but there's a whole bunch of early, late '90s, early 2000 bands that I could see uh, are influence of influences of them, and I could see them taking several different pathways after this. Um, all right. So lust, love, loss, as you mentioned, stylized with full stops in between. Again, we have a nice little opening bass riff. Uh, I really like the, the the solo bass run that comes before the guitar solo. Uh, again, going back to the lyrics, who whoever broke this fella's heart, I, I, I think I kind of maybe start to get why she might have ran. Uh, he he seems he seems a bit much. There's a lot of sort of tortured emotional neediness in this album, and I feel yeah. like this song is kind of the apex of that. Having heard them interviewed, I. Th- I think it's a little more than that. I think they're talking about relationships generally. I mean, I have heard them, well, I did see them interviewed uh, and they spoke, you know, lust, love, loss is the inevitable cycle that human relationships go through and there's a kind of, there is a kind of sadness in that arc um, the, or they can be, you know, certainly in the loss phase. But that lust and love is is the, you know, the the stages that you go through in in your relationship with someone. But it, you know, the fact that it inevitably ends up in some way with loss means that every relationship eventually ends up tinged with sadness. And I think that's what they're getting at on this album. A nice, uh, again, and not exactly a cheerful thought. The drumming was the standout for me on this track. I mean, again, it's that busyness. It's so he's a really good drummer. Now, this guy ended up after this album, I think, he's gone on and there's a link. I've put a link to his um, CV on Discogs. I think he's gone from this band to Nebula. So he's gone off to play with Eddie Glass and in what was a. I mean, they were never huge Nebula, but they were. You know, they had links back to Mudhoney and and they were a respected band within the stoner rock scene. Eddie Glass, I guess you could argue, is aging. I mean, if you call 50 aging, which I, I would never do. But, you know, he's been around a while, Eddie Glass. It's an interesting choice for a drummer, I think. A young drummer like this who's in a band that's just starting out and then you get an offer from a band that's big but not... Gojira big, come and drum for us. What do you do? Do you stick with the the young, promising band that you're with, or do you go? So, Miss Mike Amster has has chosen to go off with Nebula, and I think he's they've now um, stopped playing live or something. I don't know if they've broken up, but he's now playing with Nick Oliveri's band, Mondo Generator. Yeah, he's on the new album. Yeah, so the newest album. Yeah, so. I wonder if if he has a tinge. I mean, this album's about regret. I wonder if Mike Amster 
feels a little bit of regret. I mean, this is the band and this is the album that gave him his start. And now he's chosen to play with these bands that, you know, aren't quite, I guess it's kind of similar to, we saw the relationship between Monster Magnet and the Atomic Bitchwax and that decision you have to make between sticking with your group or joining the slightly bigger but not superstar level group. So, you know, there's an interesting choice in there for it. The fact is that he's an excellent drummer and that's why he's ended up in these big bands. And you can hear it on this track and throughout the album. He's so busy. My only criticism would be it's a, a little bit muffled, the sound of the drums, especially that kick. I've spoken previously about my kick drum addiction and I've been spoiled. I think I've had the best sounding kick drum ever recorded in metal on in uh, Mario's kick drum on the latest Gojira album. And then to come back to this, I don't think he's a kick drum specialist anyway. It's not a big part of his drumming style, but I'm hoping we, regardless, that we hear a little more clarity and, and punch in that kick drum sound in, in their later albums. I like the song. It's one thing that screaming allows is catharsis. And when you, you know, the last three words of this song are screamed, lost, lost, lost. So this song certainly has a cathartic finish to it. And um, yeah, I, you know, I quite enjoyed it as a, as a title track. I thought it worked and there was, you know, it was very interesting and particularly enjoyed the drums and the interplay. You know, there's, a, there's another one of those melodic bridge section here and some of those recurring themes, the intricate bass work, the interplay between the bass and the guitar and, and the sort of intersection of melody and angularity in, in the guitars, which gives them plenty to work with, I think, and, and I can see the seeds here of, of what's, what's to come. The last track now is called The Light, a slow atmospheric opening, a very gentle opening. I would have loved to have found out here if this guy could sing. He doesn't. He screams. It would have been a nice place if he could sing to put some singing in the introduction to this song. Maybe it's a confidence thing. You know, you're never going to get criticised as being a bad singer if you're screaming, right? You know. But I would have lo loved to have heard if he could sing here. And I'm sure he could. I mean, he, this band obviously has an ear for a melody. So I, I suspect the guy can sing. He was just not quite confident enough to, to have a go. Um, but I do love the build-up to this song. They do discordant really well. And a lot of those hardcore bands do it. You know, a way of sounding, of, of playing just unusual combinations of notes on the guitar that are jarring. but still work and they do that really well especially in the middle section of this song but it's the last two and a half minutes of this song that stand out to me this is where the band for the first time really settle into a jammy groove there's some splashy cymbals soaring guitar which which we haven't heard yet uh, to this point on the album some great bass work and then it fades out you know it feel but it feels like they could jam this out live for for many more minutes. This is a highlight to me and, and it's my favorite song on the album. Your thoughts on The Light? This, so yes, I mean, you, you've, you've said it all very well. Lyrically, 
Am I wrong to think that this song, it feels like it's about this. This is one where we clearly have a friend who has uh, about a friend who's taken their own life. So there is sort of that. And you had mentioned the catharsis at the end of lust, love, loss. And it, it almost feels like that catharsis is continuing here and sort of processing this pain. Uh, if that's in fact what it's being used for, but I, I do agree that this this song really felt like it it opened itself up for a different vocal styling. Mm. But but uh, same thing. I mean, my my notes throughout keep mentioning the musicianship of this band. I just I like how they play together. I like how they sound together. Um, I really like how the bass and the drums wor work together. So. I mean, I assume that that will continue. I assume that if you're going to replace your brother on drums, you're going to bring somebody else in who has that same chemistry, right? Especially if we're watching this band rise in success. So I'm curious to hear how that continues. So my favorite song was that last one, The Light. Yours was Sunshine? I was torn between Sunshine and uh, Mr. Pink Always Wins, but I think just for the... The Cure vibe. I'm going to go with Mr. Pink Always Wins. Mr. Pink's Cure slash Reservoir Dogs. Mm. And um, overall, we've spent quite a bit of time. I, I would argue that we have spent more time listening to this <laughs> album than any other human, apart from Abrams themselves. Maybe <laughs> even more than Abrams. <laughs> we've listened to this more than anyone on the planet. Our opinion counts. What are your thoughts? I, I imagine if Abrams listened to this podcast, they'd be like, wait, what album? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my overall thoughts are I'm, 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 ready, I'm, I, I'm ready to move on to the next album. Um, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to hear how they sort of how, how we now kind of uh, progress. Yeah. Um, I, really, I really like the, as I said, the musicianship of this band, I've said it, countless times um i like that the, how the music plays with what i assume are their influences right we've talked about at the drive-in the cure unsane poison the well um i think the bass lays down some really cool melodies throughout so i guess my hope is that kind of the the, the vocal styling progresses along with that the melodies are there they found the melodies um does that come through vocally and, and the next album is called Morning, but no U, right? M O R N I N G. That seems optimistic. Perhaps, sure. perhaps mm. it's you know moving on, new beginnings, all that. I don't know. Mm. Although I think there's a song on there called Morning with the U. So. Mm. It's always hard doing what we're doing because we're going back to a band's first album, knowing that there's later albums to come. So you, the difficulty is to judge an album in isolation rather than just viewing it as the first step in a process. I mean, I, I had trouble with that with Opus Eponymous uh, from Ghost and with Terra Incognita from Gojira. It was so hard to just look at it without wondering what was next. In isolation, this is not an album that I'm going to come back to a lot, maybe apart from one or two songs here and there that, I'll, that I might every so often listen to. But, yeah, definitely the ingredients are in place. And I think there's a lot to be said for any band or any artist of any kind. If you've got something, just get it out and just 
and just get that first one out there and then see what comes from it get the feedback have some time to consider and, and ponder on your own art and then evolve so many bands end up in completely different places from where they started i did think there's definitely merit in this i mean there's there's a lot there's some great combinations here you know i like what's here and, and i can see where it, I, I can see the promise of this band already and i really enjoyed spending a few weeks with it I, I i did enjoy my time with it and felt myself at various times tapping along you know to the drums and 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 just grooving out in that last section of the light and, and here and there just nodding my head so it was well worth the time and yeah i think we'll find it was time well spent when we come to enjoy what they've what they've become hopefully um but yeah i've got i've got a lot of hope of about what's to come given what we already know you know the fact that they're already bobbing up here and there on best albums lists um but also just the glimpses that they showed us on this album hmm. we better get into the band brownlow now there's only three band members if we're not um if we're not going to count the uh, the lurker mr um what's his name mr alberts mr alberts he, he doesn't get counted yet even though he was lurking about in the background uh <laughs> we're going to go with zach amster taylor iverson and michael amster how do you rank them i will oh, where am i at there are my notes oh here we go all right so i'm giving one vote to mr zach amster mm-hmm um, and then my two votes is going to the drums of Michael Amster, and I'm giving giving my three to the to the bounce and the melody of Mr. Taylor Iverson on the bass. Okay. Uh, so two thirds of the band are Amsters, but uh, you couldn't find a place for them in top spot. I'm going vocalist one vote as well, and hoping that he can expand uh, his range and and show us some some different sides to himself in future albums the guitar works great though and you know i i really credit that i'm gonna go two on the bass as much as i liked it it um yes yeah, there's some great bass lines and i love the fact that it's really clear like so well mixed on the bass the drums are not well mixed but uh they were the stand that was the standout performance to me that was the thing that my ear kept getting dragged towards the busyness of of the, you know the snare and cymbal work and and a little bit of tom work so yeah I, I really like the drums and i can see why this guy has now gone on to play with some bigger names in the industry and so well done michael amster for your performance on this album and i hope you're having fun touring with the likes of eddie glass and nick oliveri i'm sure he's having a good time next album we've got coming up is morning are we are we predictable with our band brown because i'm thinking if we were to go back and listen i think i always give the bass player my first top spot and you always go the drummer i, yeah. I might be wrong but i, I feel like i've always it, i've always been a, a drum guy i, I must say hmm. um sorry you you had asked a question i apologize next album where, where, where's morning gonna take us 
morning i who knows right yeah. we're two years morning is going to be two years later um i i did a sneak peek and it looks like it was recorded produced the same places uh but we do have we're gonna have a different drummer and mm. not necessarily the same drummer that's going to carry us through mm. okay well so it looks look looks like that drumming might be a hot spot for a while yeah i mean i've already mentioned it but there are several ways they could go from here and i'm really interested to find out which which one they chose whether they go the emotional the accessible the doomy or some combination of those or they just build on what's here I, who knows it's going to be fun to find out but i feel like we'll be well placed having heard this one to to put that one in perspective Usually, I feel like with these, the, the between the first and the second, the band has been um, touring, playing out, really kind of gelling that sound and figuring out what they sound like live and how to sort of uh, capitalize on that, especially as, as you hope the venues are getting bigger. Um, and so it's as there's two things we've not mentioned in this podcast, and I don't think we're going to mention it in the next one either, but Anthemic, I don't think we're there yet. No. Um, and and I, I, I would be remiss to let this podcast end without anybody saying Black Sabbath. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to say Black Sabbath. Okay. <laughs> well done. Um, all right. On that note, let's wrap it up. So thanks for listening. We have been Unshuffled. As always, you can find show notes at our website, unshuffledpod.com. You can contact us through Twitter at unshufflepod. Or you can email us, unshufflepod at gmail.com. And I do check our emails regularly. By regularly, I mean every six months, but in a very regular way. But email us and, and we'll get to them. Uh, Got to say some big thank you. Smallstone, as always, are a great record label and their band, Seven Planets, have allowed us the privilege of using... Their track Vanguard off their album Explorer in our opening and closing section of the podcast. So do seek out Seven Planets on the Smallstone Bandcamp site. Download it and enjoy. It's great. It's great stoner rock. And there's no lyrics, so you can work away and you know write or correct English essays or whatever you have to do. But with Seven Planets playing in the background is a great accompaniment for anything. Driving to the dump if you have to. Next time we speak to you, Scott, who knows where you'll be. I suspect you might be back in Asia if all goes well. Let's hope so. And we can supposed say, to be. We can say konnichiwa. That's that's the plan. Supposed <laughs> to be in Japan, so uh, but we'll see. Mm. And I'm not going to be back in Jakarta uh, as planned, but um, I'm likely to be somewhere in Europe. Again, who knows where life will take us, and who knows where Abrams will take us on their next album, but we'll find out. Go download it now, listeners, so that you can uh, come along for the ride. Thank you, as always, for listening. We do appreciate all our listeners around the world tuning in. And thank you, Scott. It's been a pleasure, as always. Thank, thank you, listener, and uh, thank, thank you, Matt. And stay safe, stay healthy.